heard Necropolis and the prologue from Manila Road's Crystal Logic. I'm Mark. And I'm Jason. And this is the Requiem Metal Podcast. And today, Mark, we are venturing into um, a couple of bands that are going to, I don't know how you would categorize them, epic battle metal, um, you know, fantasy metal, um, yeah, there are two bands that, uh, well, at least with like Manila Road, they were kind of weird out of time. Mm-hmm. They came from Wichita, Kansas, which is the last place in the world you'd think to hear a, mm-hmm. you know, a solid heavy metal band. But they also came out right, kind of right before New Wave of British Heavy Metal, like that was starting to happen. But then came out of this uh, hard rock tradition of like you know Rush and Aerosmith and Deep Purple. So yeah, that all that, so there's like there's all these different conflicting forces coming, but also being in the center of the you know the country kind of you're 
couple years behind sure. all the trends that were happening on the coasts. And yeah, and you've got the thrash thing that's kind of arising in this time period. And mm-hmm. ultimately, what like you get with a band like Manila Road is they're just weird. You know, yeah. they're just kind of like off a little bit. And uh, it's completely there's like no. I think they're completely honest and sincere about what they're mm-hmm. doing. There's no pretense about you know that they're trying to. Uh, I don't know, like be be scholars on any kind of specific, you know, fantasy books or whatever. They're just really into the stuff. Sure, you know, why not sing about this and be kind of because the the their term of epic metal, which I think they coined, mm-hmm. which sounds like something that Manowar would have would have done. But the one of a couple of the listings or the explanations of that that I read online was like we play all kinds of music, be it from jazz to folk to blues to which. I don't really see that as much, but as sure. far as the subject matters, I think for sure it's it's these these huge, long, almost classical compositions with different time changes and themes and moods, and it's in bizarre, you know, falsetto vocals that yep. don't really sound we'll, like anybody. And we'll definitely get into Mark Shelton's vocals because that's kind of one of the contentious things about the band, you know. But you get like you know, basically what we decided to do is sort of look at um, Manila Road, Crystal Logic, which is kind of considered by most of their fans to be one of their their sort of masterpieces. That's kind of um, the first one where I think they really sounded like everything themselves. Everything kind of locked together. Yeah. yeah. You know, because prior to that, you had a couple of records in the early 80s that um, sort of hinted at some of that. Some were more like progressive, which I think the, metal, the album before it was sort of a little bit more in the prog kind of realm. And then you had the first one, which was a little bit more in the hard rock realm. And this is the first one where they really sort of, you know, hit the, the, the sort of faster, sort of more doomy metal sound that you're going to hear throughout this record. And we decided it would be kind of cool to uh, look at this and another weird record of this time period, which also kind of didn't fit with any scenes whatsoever. And so we're actually going to be doing two different episodes. So, you know, you won't hear much about Sirith Ungul this episode, but, you know, when we do get to uh, King of the Dead mm-hmm. in the, the, I guess you could call it the second part, if you want to look yeah. at them as a two-parter, even though they're kind of loosely connected. Well, you know? right between there, we're going to break it up and put a Slayer episode that we recorded <laughs> three years ago. Yeah, there you go. The last, <laughs> the last Slayer episode. And, you know, um, you know, from, from our standpoint, it's kind of cool. We've, we've sort of been, uh, you know, Mark and I have been busy like the last few weeks actually going to quite a few concerts and it's kind of reinvigorated, I guess, uh, a little bit of the, the classic metal sort of uh, atmosphere, you know, from going back uh, like not too long, what month and a half ago and seeing Anthrax and Motorhead. Uh, yep. And then, you know, Mayhem and Watane and Rotting Christ, which doesn't really fit with Manila Road or Sirathon Gold, but, you know, Mayhem's kind of a, a classic, if you mm-hmm. will, you know. And then most recently, last weekend, we, we saw Abigail perform from, from King Diamond. That was uh, amazing. Yeah, that's fantastic. Was really sweet. And Exodus sort of, you know, opened up and stuff. Well, we saw so, Blind Guardian not too long ago. Yeah, as well. that's true. Yeah. So, I mean, we've been on like this sort of like epic kind of metal, you know, kind of thing. And I mean, King Diamond and Abigail's not like that far away from some of the things, the like weird mixed genres that you get with like a record like Crystal Logic, you know. Yeah. And King's vocals are also very um, can be dis- divisive for some people at first. It was for me as a know? kid, yeah, for you know? sure. And so I think there's 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 a lot kind of to that. And I think you know uh, King Diamond kind of existed in the same way, like as being part of the new wave of British heavy metal, especially like Merciful Fate, but doing some like weirder choices sometimes. And they mm-hmm. didn't, you know, and they're obviously not British, mm-hmm. you know, you're being European, you know, but also like 
they were just strange. You know, they didn't really fit in any scene. And I would yeah, say they're the a, a about, band onto themselves. There's nobody ever sounded like them. Sure. Or yeah. I don't think since really. I mean, people have been influenced, but nobody. There's not a band that sounds just like. Yep. You know, I've heard a couple bands that sound just like Danzig, mm-hmm. which you know, there's like what is it, uh, Demon Bitch or something. Uh, <laughs> so, I, I they know. put on an EP like three or four years ago. Okay. Chain Breaker or Chain Maker or something. Chain but Breaker. It's, it's basically here. just sounds like like Danzig, but I don't think it's pretty tough to get that that vibe of you know what the King does or what Manila Road does. What for Mark that Shelton's doing? Yeah. yeah. He's kind of the mastermind behind the whole thing. Yeah, and, you know, you get this sort of fantasy, sort of epic kind of element to it. You know, you heard it with the prologue kind of leading in through uh, the opening cut, which is Necropolis. And then Necropolis, of course, opens up with the, the great, you know, uh, through the jungle of the river sticks. And it really <laughs> it really puts you right where, you know, you're going to be in, in this sort of uh, kind of fantasy sort of space, you mm-hmm. know. Um, right down to the cover, you know, I mean, the cover art was, was pretty like epic and Conan the Barbarian-ish. In, it's in a very sort of primitive, sense. but yeah, it definitely has that. It has the like 1970s sci-fi fantasy book cover mm-hmm. kind of vibe to it. Yeah, for sure. and they, they were influenced by a lot of, you know, fantasy authors and things like that, just as uh, we'll hear on the, the, the second, I guess, part to this, which is the Sirith and Ghoul. But uh, 1983 is what we're kind of like looking at here. So the same year that kind of Thrash broke, you know, with Kill 'Em All and Show No Mercy and, and some of those records. And so again, it doesn't fit with with sort of any of that. It's about three years behind. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know. But you have these, you know, in a song like Necropolis, you've got these, you know, catchy chorus. It's ultra repetitive. You know, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of sort of driving rhythm. Um, I say one of the things that's unique about this band. Well, I don't know if it's I call it unique, but consistent about this band is the drum. Drums kind of have a marching sort of quality, a battle mm-hmm. ready, you know. Not to say that they're like boring and repetitious, because they're not, because they do do some kind of unique things, but they have this sort of drive to them that you would kind of compare to like a battle kind of. They're never thing. flashy either. They're just there to serve their purpose. It's it's mostly on Sheldon is kind of the yeah you know his guitar playing the the guitar tone is very reminiscent of like the super metallic priest mm-hmm. tone that yeah, you started like to get late seventies early eighties yeah. kind of priest you know like when they know, took like hellbent for leather when they took stuff. all the blues out of priest mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess after the first record after rockarola that's as far as I'm concerned that's the first heavy metal sound like yeah. Sabbath started it but that just razor sharp metallic where you get kind of like uh, you know victim of changes and like. Um, the Ripper and stuff like that, yeah. where it's just like fiercely metallic in mm-hmm. a way that, yeah, you didn't hear with the Sabbath stuff, you know. But the interesting part is, is even though you do have those, you know, fiercely metallic kind of elements, which you heard in the solo in Necropolis, which is like blazing, you know, it's really in your face. And Mark Shelton doesn't probably get enough credit for being sort of a kind of an innovative guitarist, even though he's very much within the the normal parameters of what you would expect out of a metal guitarist, he mm-hmm. just makes a lot of really kind of bizarre choices, you know? Yeah, he seems and, like he's always playing on the edge of his ability, which I always like that in bands, too. Sure. Like pushing themselves, but not not one of those death metal bands that starts singing clean before they know what they're doing, but, you know, just like that that youthful enthusiasm where all this is all you care about, mm-hmm. and just the stuff that you come up with is just, you know, kind of nuts. And I think you hear a lot of, like, kind of bizarre tones, too. You mentioned Priest, but, I mean, I hear some stuff like you know, classic rock kind of tones in some of what they're doing. And there's even, especially we'll hear in the next song, kind of doomier elements at times that, mm-hmm. that sort of pop up on this record. So it's kind of hard to pigeonhole it into where are the, all their influences sort of coming from. There's very obvious new wave of British heavy metal stuff, a lot of Angel Witch and Diamond Head kind of stuff, and mm-hmm. Witchfinder General to some extent. 
and I know he was listening to some of that, but he's also a guy that says, you know, when you, you kind of look, read interviews, like what really changed for him is he grew up, you know, I think we were kind of talking about it with like a, a mother that was a professor of music. And so mm-hmm. he got trained on piano and classical music at a young age and, you know, vocally and stuff. And then he went to a Black Sabbath concert for like the Paranoid Tour. And that was like where he like sort of changed and stuff. Yeah. And then I guess they were hanging out with uh, a band. I'm trying to think of the... I wrote it down somewhere, but it was a band that, um, oh, it was a band called Crank that was his next door neighbors and they were doing Deep Purple covers. And so it was mm-hmm. like a local band that grew up with like near him in Wichita. And he was kind of like, oh, I can do this. Like I can put this stuff together, you mm-hmm. know? And so you get like, you can hear that Sabbath there. You can hear the Deep Purple there. But then obviously like by the time we arrive in 1983, there's a lot of that new wave of British heavy metal well, there. And you can hear the classical influence as far as arrangements sure. for concern. You know, but there's even like early Rush, you know, yeah. like especially like Caress of Steel type stuff mm-hmm. that's sort of going on there. So there are these weird progressive of elements because a song like Necropolis sounds pretty traditionally metal. It's three minutes. It's kind of like fast, like in your face. But there's songs like the title track, which is six minutes long. Uh, you know, Dreams of Eschaton, which is twelve minutes long. I mean, that yeah. was that was different. You know, than what you saw in a lot of metal stuff. I mean, That's Priest had some long songs. Yeah, and so did Sabbath at times. But uh, yeah, this is pretty. You know, it's progressive, ambitious. You know, the kind of thing you would see Rush or King Crimson or, or Genesis or you know, some yeah. of these more you know quote-unquote prog bands kind of do and i know for me like the first time i heard about manila road was through you and chris and you and chris always sort of gave credit to a guy uh jeff wagner and jeff wagner of course at the time worked with you guys what relapse and also wrote for metal maniacs i think in the late 90s and stuff he writes for decibel now he just he like last Last He's year, the year with, before, uh, Inside Out Records, which is like the prog side, I think of what Century Media is it? Inside oh, is it? Out? Yeah. Okay. He's like uh, one of the the head people with that, I think, in picking like the talent and okay, stuff. and wrote the you know the Peter Steele biography. Yeah, last and year. we did a you know many moons ago. We've done a couple of episodes with uh, with Wagner. We did one on Voivod, mm-hmm. uh, two parter, and then we did a two parter based on the book that he had written on the history of sort of progressive metal. Oh yeah, um, that's right. Which That's, uh, escapes me. Mean all deviation. Sudden. Yeah, mean deviation. Yeah. yeah, which is a uh, you know really interesting book for people that you know like kind of the stranger, weirder sides of, of metal. You know, not just the sort of cookie cutter kind of like thrash. You know, yeah. traditional metal. Available now on Bazillion Points Books. There you go. Yeah. And, uh, in fact, you know, so I remember you guys being like, man, this guy Wagner is just goes on and on about Manila road. And it wasn't like a kind of record where you would run into it at a record store. Like a lot of the stuff was out of print, yeah. you know, like you just wouldn't stumble on Manila road anymore. Well, in our metal circles too, like Jeff was a much more, uh, I think, you know, being like a huge rush fan and stuff too, that would, that kind of like, that wasn't really, I mean, you know, working man at Tom Sawyer or whatever we'd hear as a kid, but. Uh, I remember in 96 when I was working at Relapse, went over to his house, having a beer or something, just going through records, and we're listening to, like, Bang, Captain Beyond, Kiss Music from the Elder, and, like, Manila Road, and I was like, I've never heard of any of this stuff. Like, it's this hard rock stuff from the 70s, early 80s. Like, where where did you even find this? And I think just his sure. voracious appetite for all that stuff. He was, like, a he was the guy digging to try, yeah, to, try to find. Like, uh, well, like Lee Dorian and, um, you know, Michael from Opeth, and yeah. that, that they had this sort of obscure rock kind of appetite that sort of, you know, came through in a Mm -hmm. cool way. And if you actually like linked up with them and listened to what they were talking about, they had like a great deal of wisdom because they would lead you on these like different paths towards music. Like, 
you know, like Mellow Candle and stuff. That's, that you, yeah, I mean, I heard Lee Dorian talking about Mellow Candle, and I special ordered the record. Nothing mm-hmm. that I thought I would ever have in my collection. I still have it it's awesome. yeah. to this day. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah that's that, that was always the th- like going back and trying to – we were more, I guess, looking for death metal at the time because, you know, sure. fairly – well, I guess we've been listening to it for a while, but we're still on that mm-hmm. death metal track before – I think you hit a certain age of maturity where you're like, okay, I get – this let's let's go back and dig through where the roots of all this music came from and stuff that's sure. more interesting to me now than discovering the hot new band or whatever sure yeah no i agree i think i find more interest in going back and digging around into bands that maybe either i took for granted years ago mm-hmm. and you know especially i think teaching the rock rock and roll history class it's given me a little bit more incentive to want to know what role some of these bands played that i probably dismissed because of maybe their later material and things like that. Or even people I knew that liked them that I didn't really like those people. Yeah. And I mis- yeah. Oh, yeah, <laughs> misjudged yeah. bands purely based because on that. Of that. Yeah, no, that happens a lot, you know. And there were bands that were doing similar things to Manila Road, but probably not to this extent. I mean, I think, you know, besides Sirathon Ghoul, you know, we you kind of talk about, like, what were their contemporaries. Well, they weren't really part of a scene, but, you know, you, you hear bands like you know, Tigers of Pantang or like Agent Steel or Virgin Steel or Mm -hmm. even like Halloween Walls of Jericho. And like, not that any of those sound exactly like Manila Road, but those were records and bands, you know, Pagan Altar was, was strange, you know, Satan, you know, where do Mm -hmm. you put those bands? Like some of them were part of the new wave of British heavy metal, but they weren't like Diamond Head clones and they weren't Def Leppard clones and they weren't Iron Maiden clones, but they have some strange elements of some of that, but they're also kind of like left of center. Like, well, yeah, new wave of British heavy metal is such a weird kind of concocted after the fact term. Yeah. And a lot, it was just a lot of like whatever came out in a certain time from these bands was thrown, like motorhead gets thrown on there too, yep. which they say they're just a rock and roll band. They're yep. not a metal band, but then you had angel, Witch, Witchfinder general, St. Vitus trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All those bands coming out in like the same kind of 84 ish area. Sure. None of them fit into the well. The and Saint climate. American, I think, but yeah. But again, like as was trouble, but. a strange, you know. Yeah, and I said, you know, a band that definitely I feel like either listen to Manila Road would be like Early Trouble or or even Saint Vitus because it's just like they're using Doom, even though Doom wasn't really a construct yet, right? You know, what I mean, like Doom that didn't come around really till the nineties. Not think. really. I mean, late eighties, probably like, like death, talked about death metal stuff, but and I hear like things even not just with these guys, but like um, besides like Trouble, like Dream Death. Yeah. You know, uh, which became penance and stuff like that. Like you can hear some of the vocals too. There's a sort of like that nasal quality of Mark Shelton's vocals you hear in some of the stuff that you're, you're going to hear later with, with bands like that. Um, it's, it is such a strange kind of thing. Like you can, you know, I guess who are their contemporaries? Um, if they're influenced by new wave of British heavy metal, like, who else would you maybe glob onto like a Manila Road? And, and we kind of had this conversation. The only bands I could kind of come up with were like, you know, like Armored Saint or Queensryche or There's Metal Church. Like or Omen Candle and Bitch and stuff like yeah, that, too. Like that just these too. weirder fringe, you know, kind of local California bands that were kind of on the fringes of these, sure. like, you know, the, the sleaze. Sunset Strip stuff, or like you know the the Bay Area thrash. It was just like somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. And you you know you hear a band like a, like a Queensrÿche or something, and they're coming out of Seattle, same with Metal Church. And like Queensrÿche had a lot more Iron Maiden in it than like any of the either hair metal in Los Angeles had, or any of the like traditional like I guess thrash metal in the Bay Area. You know, the yeah. Bay Area stuff had some Iron Maiden stuff with like the melodies, but it was way sped up. 
Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, you know, you hear, like, Queen of the Reich, and that could be, like, on Somewhere in Time, almost. You know, it's got yeah. that, like, wasted years, almost, like, kind of, like, gallop and, and kind of thing working for it. And it's so... And that razor-sharp, you know, priest guitar tone yeah, and stuff. Yeah, it's just, and, they're, they're strange. So, I mean, you know, we could spend all day trying to sort of pigeonhole them, but that's not kind of, like, what the point of all this is. What we wanted to do is sort of expose a, an album and a band that I think should get a lot more sort of attention. And one of the, the I guess, the instigators and, and impetus of this was I had this idea that like, it would be cool to talk to a guy like Jeff Wagner about, you know, like what his thoughts on some of the stuff were, especially like these guys in Sirathon Ghoul. And then I also uh, reached out to another guy that kind of has the same type of taste as like a Jeff Wagner, which is King Fowley from Deceased. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of like a a collector of a lot of things. You know, I would put those two in like a Fenres, you know, like they all kind of have this like um, Renaissance, like academic knowledge of like the most obscure kind of niche weird metal well, bands that sort yeah. of time left behind almost. Because King Folly has always been a proponent of, you know, like Oz and, you know, mm-hmm. the Fire on the Brain record, a lot, just a lot of stuff that I'd never gave Riot, stuff like that. Sure. You know, like I always saw that cover, I was like, this is the dumbest cover I've ever scene but then you listen to the music and you're like oh wow okay this is it's all it's legitimate stuff and i just don't a couple years in age difference makes such a huge like (laughs) yep a huge change on what you know what you're pulling out what you're you know checking out and all that as well but and so later before we get into the the second set of music here the big first big set we're gonna actually play a a recording that jeff sent us Uh, jeff was nice enough to kind of you know, scramble together something and kind of very concisely sort of state a case of like he sums up this entire episode in a minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does a lot better job than like how we sort of trip over our words and stuff. But um, I think one other thing that's so interesting about Manila Road that I, I believe Mark kind of hinted on before is that this record really does come out in a strange time because this is the time where uh, American metal was very barren. You know, Mm -hmm. thrash was about to begin, but most of the sort of like interesting metal stuff that was happening was over in England or or Germany, Germany and other sort of places. And so it really does sort of exist in this kind of strange bubble. And I would say it's it's not unlike what you see kind of going on in Canada around this time with like a Mm -hmm. band like Anvil. I mean, Anvil's not as like progressive in any sort of way as like what Manila Road was doing. But Anvil, like when you watch that Anvil, you know, documentary and stuff, they sort of existed right before thrash and almost because they were like too early they don't really belong to any scene and they kind of get left behind a little bit Mm -hmm. and i feel like manila road is kind of like there like they're not able to like glob on to any one scene and it kind of keeps them like trapped in the underground as sort of a cult metal band in a lot of ways which is go appreciate it creatively good later i think but i mean look at uh, Manila road has like 17 records yeah or something. So they've been consistently knocking stuff out. But yeah, and you said they played at. Uh, I saw them at Maryland Death Fest, Death Fest yeah. four, three or four years ago. I think same year Pagan Altar played too, which is okay. That and unfortunately that was guy the passed first away. Year I didn't go because I haven't been. That, to go that was a great. Years. Yeah, really. That was something like I'd never thought I wanted to see them. Like, like I didn't really seem to care, but like a couple years before that, I really kind of delved into them a little more. And then seeing them live, I was like, I knew every single song is sure. amazing, to, especially to break up the. The monotony of just a lot of death metal. Death metal, black metal, grindcore kind of stuff. Yeah. And like actually just like a band that's like, ah. Just well, that was like <laughs> the first time I saw Pentagram was years ago at Maryland Death Fest. Yeah. That was like a breath of fresh air. You know, like, like right after Pestilence or something yeah, they played. I mean, it was or, just like awesome. Like, yeah. oh man, sing along, sign of the wolf. You know, like yeah. it just felt like this, this awesomeness to it. 
What would you say, though, I think, you know, we, we probably need to hit on it before we, we get too much further, this idea of, like, Mark Shelton's vocals, because this is, seems to be the thing that um, stands out to, I think, a lot of people the first time they hear it. What, what are some of your thoughts on that department? I mean, they're definitely, I mean, he's got, you could throw him in the same camp as, like, you know, Getty Lee, who definitely has a voice that takes some getting used to, or some, um, or King Diamond, or um, I'm trying to think of some other... Well, later the guy Tim from Sirathan Ghoul yeah. is, is in that sort of camp as well. Because it's not—he's not a good singer by the you know by the terms you know laid down by like oh does he have a good vocal range? Does how many octaves can he hit? But he has a personality to his vocals. I mm-hmm. think that's you know undeniable. Even like you know like like Udo from Accept yeah. cannot sing, but he has a great metal. You know, kind of like Brian Johnson or something too. He's not a sure. good singer, yeah. but he brings something like an energy he can and power in a cool way. Yeah, you know, like it's a it's a monotony kind of scream, but it with it like fills the music perfectly. Like it, yeah, it locks. It's right as heavy it, as know? the guitars before like death metal singing yeah, ever it's came like about. A shrill kind of thing over yeah. top the music, and know? somehow like yeah, Udo's been able to keep up that style of singing without completely destroying his vocal cords for thirty years. Yeah. Or more for that matter, you know. And I think, like you know, I wrote down, you know, obviously nasally is the first word that usually comes to mind when people talk about Mark Shelton. But I think there's also like very much a, you know, Bruce Dickinson esque flair to some of the things that he does on occasion, which again is drawing on Ian Gilliam from like Pink, Pink sure. Purple and stuff like that. But definitely a Teutonic thing is mm-hmm. there as well. The vibrato is the weird thing because he sings, he has no range. He mm-hmm. sings in like one octave, I'm guessing. Um, very kind of monotonous, but that vibrato breaks up the monotony a little bit. Like it's uh, instead of singing more like Udo, he's holding his notes out mm-hmm. through vibrato, which it's it's kind of a difficult. It's almost Sisters of Mercy kind of thing where how they would sing with vibrato, but this really monotone or even low Messiah. I yeah, mean, I, there's a lot, especially when we get to the second half of the show, when we get to like veils of negative existence and stuff. There's a lot of predictive candle mass isms that are going to oh, yeah. sort of show up. I think you know? Messiah only can sing in a couple octaves. He's not as like versed as like King Diamond or anything. And the first time I heard candle mass, I was like, whoa. Like, I don't know if I like this or not. I mean, the riffs were kick-ass, but, yeah. man, you kind of, you're taken aback at first, and, and you know, you got to kind of fight over that and see why it's doing what it's doing oh, and I how remember it fits together. The first you know? song from Candlemas I ever heard was Mirror. 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 Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, whoa, okay. Yeah. I don't yeah. know what to think of that. But then, just like, you just like, just let it, just kind of embrace it for what it is, just listen to it without judgment. And I think it kind of like makes sense. I think also too compositionally, and I think this fits with the variety style of the vocals. I think compositionally, like it's, it's a traditional, like we quote unquote, epic battle metal sort of record, but there's a definite unpredictability in some of the choices that they make compositionally. And like, I guess I would compare it to like, when you listen to the very first uh, Iron Maiden, like when you listen mm-hmm. to song like Phantom of the Opera, it makes a lot of weird choices. It goes in like a lot of weird directions, like a normal traditional metal song didn't up until that point. You know, it's yeah. almost progressive. And obviously, we know now that uh, um, Steve Harris was very influenced by progressive rock and oh, things absolutely. like that. And I think you could sort of make some of the same arguments here. You hear a lot about you know that kind of weird progressive sort of things, especially like in the next song, we're going to hear like Crystal Logic and stuff. Some just weird avenues it sort of turns down all of a sudden Mm -hmm. you know where like you feel like you've got the song kind of uh pinpoint it and then you're like whoa it just completely turns 90 degrees and i mean i think like you hear that a lot in a band and maybe this is why and this is my theory and jeff can either back this up later or not 
I hear a lot of stuff that like you would hear with like Voivod. You know, the Voivod, the choices they made in terms of like thrash were so left of center a mm-hmm. lot of times, and like that, you know, especially vocally, you know, we're we're just weird. I think they got things. thrown into thrash too, just because of the time period, because yeah. they really ne- were never a thrash band. Like, no, you know, they started out this weird noise punk thing, and then just they were never any scene really. No. It started out primitive and just became more, you know, they progressed as they went along. But they're but. still firmly metal. And I would say yeah. Vanilla Road is definitely metal, you know. And I'm not saying they're as progressive as Voivod, but I can hear some of those weird things that, like, Voivod does where, like, it catches you off guard. And you're like, oh, that's an interesting choice. You know, yeah. like, yeah. I like it, but you just kind of don't really know where to kind of go with it, you know. So, um, yeah, so I think, you know, there's a lot. You know, for people who are hearing this record for the first time, you know, stay open-minded and, and just kind of see the variety that this album sort of offers. You know, it has a really good flow to it. Uh, in fact, one of the things we decided to do is normally, if you sort of buy the CD now, uh, the next song that you would hear on the record after Necropolis is Flaming Metal Systems, which actually we'll talk more about later, but that shouldn't be the third song. It was, it was an add-on. It was added in there around i think 2000 but it was actually recorded for a compilation a couple years later in 1985 and so we'll kind of talk about that near the end of the show so we're actually going to go in the traditional order of of the record but um we're gonna hear crystal logic next and uh crystal logic the title track uh doom chug very much at the beginning um i even sort of wrote down and this is i think mark before you got here i was listening to it if you listen during the chorus, there's this weird, like, sort of oscillating, like, groove pocket. And I wrote, it's predictive of, like, what you hear with, like, obituary. You know how obituary has that, like, oh, yeah. almost, like, not rapping thing, but, like, where you could, like, jump up and down to it because it has this weird, like, bouncing kind of quality, this chug to it. Uh, yeah, just like that hook. Yeah, it's it's cool. And I'm not saying it sounds like obituary, so don't get your hopes up. <laughs> but it kind of has that sort of thing, you know. Um, and, it, you know, this is definitely what I would call battle metal. You know, when you hear a song like Crystal Logic, very, very bottom-heavy. Mm-hmm. And in particular, pay attention around the 215 mark. Uh, it's a really cool transition, and it goes like super doom but in a new wave of british heavy metal sort of way and in fact this is where i think if you hear a song like this right around that 215 mark it really reminds me of early merciful fate kind of stuff yeah um and even abigail compositionally you know abigail will do these weird changes in the middle of a song and you're like whoa what are the, the drums just like completely change the riff you know and uh the solo See if you guys agree with me or not, and you know, give us feedback on it. But I, I hear a lot of Nugent in it, and I, I think Mark Shelton even said like Nugent was like a big influence on him. And it's kind of buried in layers of like metal. It's not like hard rock, but it's yeah. it's kind of like some of the weird guitar choices that are in there is uh, is pretty cool. So so we're gonna hear Crystal Logic, and then the second song we're gonna hear we're not gonna talk too much about. We can kind of ma- mention a little bit more when we get back. Uh, it's called Feeling Free Again, and that's a song they don't like, really, uh, the band. And it's, it's, you know, as you said, what, cock rock kind of? There's some, I mean, there's some Sunset Strip sleaze, that opening yeah. riff, which I, I, I like the riff, but I, I guess that the the producer kind of get pushed this. I think he wanted a hit single, maybe, or something, <laughs> and it didn't, didn't really work, yeah. And so, and then we'll hear uh, The Riddle Master and The Ram, which we'll talk a little bit more about. But before we actually go into Crystalogic, uh, what you're about to hear is uh, Jeff Wagner. And Jeff Wagner is going to kind of, like Mark said, concisely uh, sum up some thoughts about this record and even link it to uh, the show we're going to do down the road with the, the Sirathon Ghoul. So enjoy Crystalogic, 
feeling free again, the riddle master and the ram, and preceding all of that is the esteemed Mr. Jeff Wagner. Manila Road always seemed like the only band that Sir Thungal could possibly consider their peers. I mean, and, you know, we mention them and talk about them because they both kind of come up. If, if one comes up, the conversation usually leads to the other. Um, you know, same era, similar roots, and another, you know, both bands had these unusual styles that helped them stand tall amongst, you know, the kind of more cruddy, greasy, C-rate traditional metal bands uh, from that era. Um, and Manila was just weird, and I think lots of us listen to metal largely for the weird factor. I, I hope so, anyway. Uh, Mark Shelton's voice was divisive with its chilling and, you know, super nasal delivery. And Crystal Logic is a gem, their third album. Uh, a handful of compositions that really put the epic in epic metal, really kind of define what that means. And the cover art and general fantasy novel aesthetic rose above the cheap, garagey recording. And in fact, I think the imperfect recording is part of that album's peculiar charm. i 
That was the Ram, the Riddle Master, Feeling Free Again, and then we started off with the eponymous Crystal Logic. And uh, a couple things about the Ram and Riddle Master there, because I know we, we sort of talked about the first two songs. Uh, and hopefully you enjoyed the Jeff Wagner uh, little input. We'll hear again from Jeff Wagner uh, with the Sir Thungul episode, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but the Ram, the song you just heard there, um, really like accept kind of Teutonic metal kind of riff opening. You know, like it's, it sounds like an accept yeah. opening. And uh, the solo is is sort of incredible. And I remarked to uh, Mark earlier when we were listening to some of this and kind of pre gaming that. The song, this song, like the Ram, sounds like what I wish Manowar sounded like. It, <laughs> when when people describe Manowar to me before I ever heard them, I kind of was like pumped. I was like, oh, it's like the ultimate metal band. And then I'm like, I'm always inevitably sort of let down because of the. I think the cheese factor is just way too high, and the homoerotic imagery and and stuff. I just like the. I, I think the, all that the imagery and stuff's great. The fact that they're so serious about it is yeah, what really bums me it, out. It does. It weirds me out. Like Turbo Negro works because like there's a wink. With all the stuff they're doing, yeah, but like Manowar never winks, and so I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> like, and it's just it's boring. Yeah, I don't know, and I mean, we apologize if you're a Manowar fan out there. I'm sure I just, you are. Well, I just well never Jeff Wagner it. coined this is I don't know how to like. Yeah, it. I don't know how to like that. You're right, you're right. Um, but like, especially hear those Brooklyn accents or whatever that everybody's yeah, got. From, it doesn't uh, work with like the fantasy element or you yeah. know, whatever. But um, right, use guys. Let's <laughs> sing, <laughs> sing about some Conan. <laughs> The other cool thing vocally I hear, and you know, we've kind of tried to talk about like Mark Shelton as a vocalist, but I point out to Mark, there's a lot of Udoisms in this song, sure. and also uh, a lot of Bobby Blitz uh, overkill mm-hmm. type stuff. Yeah. He like kind of upper register kind of screams, you know, and stuff like Somehow that. Somehow Bobby Blitz has managed to not destroy his like he actually yeah. just sings that way. Which and you is were kind saying of Mark Shelton's like shredded his vocals now, and he doesn't even sing for the band. Though. He's saying I think he's saying maybe. Two songs or something when I saw him, and then they've got a full time singer. He's doing backing vocals and gotcha. stuff. Gotcha. And he's being the like, only original member of the band that's kind of been consistent, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And really, Crystal Logic's only a three piece too. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and then Riddle Master kind of starts with a Black Sabbath kind of Iron Man sort of drum beat there, which is cool. And the whole like uh, guitar tone is like Black Sabbath, but like kind of taken into the red. You know, it's like mm-hmm. everything's maxed out. Yeah, maxed out, and and that's. Probably the song and the the sound, I would say, that has probably the most connection to like Sirithon Ghoul in terms of like one of the things like production wise. When you hear production wise on the Sirithon Ghoul, when we get to it, is it sounds like everything's like in the red everywhere. You know, if you've ever recorded rails, yeah, onto an like an old analog mixer or something where it's just like wow, you need to turn everything down. Yeah. They didn't. It's an overdrive. Everything's <laughs> yeah, an overdrive yeah. or something, you know. So, and uh, really, that's the one I think I remarked to Mark where the vocals that go into the chorus and Riddle Master um, are shredding, you know. And then right after the solo is where you get like some weird Voivod-esque kind of like breakdowns that are slightly off. So I know we talked a lot about Voivod in that first talk set, but you really kind of heard it in some of the Riddle Master things. So I think that a lot of at least when I remember when I I've never played in bands, but I played you know just jamming with people a lot throughout my life, and remember like early on we didn't want to be progressive, but we were bored, so just like sticking with one thing, playing four four for four measures, we're like this is boring. Let's throw something in. I think a lot of that is just, just that yeah. youthful kind of sure. like bored. Like you want to keep doing something different or have fun mm-hmm. doing it. So there, I don't think they probably had any kind of conscious progressive thing happening. It was just like oh we're bored. Let's 
let's change it up here. Let's yeah. everybody wants to, you know. Yeah. No, I agree. And I think I think the cool thing about a band like Manila Road is it almost seems like they have no rules. They have no genre rules. You know, they yeah. exist outside of any genre or scene. Like they always sound like themselves, but it's a real broad mm-hmm. you know, tent that they're inside well, of. Well and you were talking earlier and I forgot to sort of throw it in there, but you were talking about how like the the net of New Wave of British heavy metal is so like wide and what they kind of consider, you know, anything from like, you know, upbeat kind of thrashy pre proto thrash stuff like anything. Well, Motorhead to Def Leppard was all yeah, thrown on that I mean, at one point. And you got Witchfinder General and stuff, and I mean, I think that was like an it, it, the term sort of came later. Mm-hmm. And I think like um, you know, like something I grew up with, like grunge, like everything that got thrown in to be grunge could be things like the Melvins and Helmet to like fucking Pearl Jam, you know, like post punk to heart to like it was classic so, rock. So strange, you know, yeah. and, and even the net of like quote unquote hair metal or whatever, like. You know, there's a lot of differences between like Dokken and like what Poison was doing or Bon Jovi. You know, yeah. I mean, that we're talking yeah. like so sometimes genrefication can almost be sort of like a hindrance for some bands because I think it holds them back from maybe reaching the target audience. You know, and so, oh, it's something as I don't, I guess that's sort of like a pompous ass, but as scholars of this crap, like sure. I, I read about this stuff all the time. Sure. Yeah, I mean, um, but we always, it's always nice to try to put things in categories yeah, just for our brain to make things yeah, make sense. I agree. I agree. Like even like people we know, like, oh, this is this guy that does mm-hmm. this and it's oversimplification, but it's for. It's for a reason of just talking about this generally to try to make sense of And that's why we were kind world, of searching you know? for in the first talks that, like, who are their contemporaries, you know? Like, yeah. are they closer to, like, an armored saint or, you know I mean? Like, it's, it's... I think a lot of their contemporaries we did, we've never heard of. Yeah. Because they probably. never recorded anything. I think you're right, you know. Um, a lot of Midwest touring bands. For you sure. Know? You know, and they were huge in Wichita for years, you know. Um, I mean, they kind of had the hometown sort of audience thing kind of going for them. So... Uh, one thing we kind of forgot to mention, speaking of their kind of like uh, the people that they sort of influence, is uh, Dark Throne and uh, Raised on Rock from yeah. Fuck Off and Save Die. Save Your Soul to Manila Road. Yeah, we sold their souls to Manila Road. You know, it was like a, a vocal line in there, which is cool. I just yeah. heard a, uh, an interview with Mark Sheldon. I was watching one on YouTube. And he's like, yeah, man, this guy Fenris from Dark Throne, he, I really appreciate it. That was really cool. Yeah. He's real down to earth, you yeah. know, just like. You know your biker dad, sure, yeah. kind of I mean, personality. But he's been at it for a long time now. Yeah, you know? but he seemed really touched that people cared at all yeah. about us. Like, Dude, he had like seventeen studio records. I know, I know, and especially probably going out to you know Death Fest and stuff. That was probably like a shock to him to see people like, were people singing along with everything. It was freaking out nuts. And stuff. I mean, a lot of it is you know the internet has been the great equalizer for a lot of this stuff because kids that were not even born when I mean when you know the Deluge, you know, some of the later on records even came out. Um, are singing along with this sure. stuff like they're they've had such a resurgence in the you know in the late 2000s well think about like us like when i stumbled on some of the stuff when fenraz first started like posting things and this is when mark was still living here at the house where we were recording and like i kind of went searching for some things and and found like witch cross and like all these mm-hmm. like weird things agent steel and yeah i, yeah. I, mean, I kind of stumbled upon because based off of fenrez's recommendations and like we kind of compared him earlier as being like a scholar of you know you said i mean fenrez really is this sort mm-hmm. of like underground kind of scholar and he does the underground series i don't know if he does it anymore but i think he was doing stuff with that yeah he, well on soundcloud he's doing the you know fenrez radio thing but but that's kind of interesting because he's digging i don't have the patience for it but he's digging in into just playing stuff 
from 2015. Oh, really? Like, wow. ju- yeah, like he's done four or five of those things, just 2015 shows. Wow. Of new bands, like, where the hell even find this shit? I mean, I guess if that's your whole existence, I mean, that's his life in yeah. a sense, you know, so yeah. the craft, you know. It's his hobby, yeah, it. like, I don't, I don't understand yeah. hobbies yeah, anymore. for sure. I mean, I spent a lot of time watching, like, fucking wrestling and dumb shit like that. Yeah. You know? So, I, I, you know, I know how to waste time, like, sure. and, and so do you, you know. So, oh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, if that's what you're passionate about, so... But uh, we kind of want to draw things towards the, the close of the album, and uh, near the end of the traditional end of the album, kind of ends with a really amazing one-two punch. And what we're going to be hearing here is the veils of negative existence, and then probably the centerpiece of the record. It's probably maybe outside of Necropolis, the song that gets talked about, I would imagine, the most, uh, and that's Dreams of, of Eschaton. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that right. I think it's a, it's a Greek word that means the end. And it's kind of based on... Um, I think Mark Shelton and also some of the, like, I don't know if I want to call it the Dungeons and Dragons, but the fantasy aspects of, like, that he was sort of interested in from a mm-hmm. lyrical standpoint about, like, kind of the ideas of, like, the end, the afterlife, and, and some of, like, the weird mythological sort of, you know, things mm-hmm. that sort of play into that. And, you know, that's the song we talked about is a 12-minute long song. And, and, you know, even though it's at the very end, it really is kind of like the centerpiece. It's one of the songs that, you know, often gets mentioned as a stone cold classic of, yeah. of these guys, you know. And when you, you know, before we get into that, you know, first we're going to hear Veils of Negative Existence. And we talked about Candlemask before. This is the most Candlemask esque song on the record, you know. The, yeah, the riff, um, especially. It's just, it's a really, I wrote, it's an unfuckable with riff. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just like awesome. Simple know? and direct and perfect. A lot of diverse vocals. You hear mm-hmm. like kind of these cool, like whispered sort of vocals and things like that. I mean, it's just a crushing song, you know. And it, the song title, Veils of Negative Existence, I mean, that's a. Just a great doom metal kind of title. Oh yeah, you know? yeah, it leaves um, a lot of the imagination for sure. And so, and then you get kind of this mystical, quiet kind of intro, and then comes this angel witch riff out of nowhere. Yeah. And it's from a song, "Angel of Death," from Angel Witch, and we actually did an Angel Witch uh, show many moons ago. Uh, I totally forgot. We yeah, did that. we did. We did. So check that one out for sure. Uh, but you know, this angel with angel witch riff kind of comes out of nowhere and it, and it kind of bounces along and you sort of stated this is you know kind of saint vitacy in a way and it's got this like punk doom kind of vibe to it at times where yeah it's it's very catchy and it kind of has this sort of like bouncing kind of cool feeling which you hear with sometimes like catchier elements of like a punk rock kind of thing mm-hmm. you know um, a lot of Udo like vocals and screams and things like that. And in fact, some of the sort of singing and some of the, the stuff he does vocally really predicts things you're going to hear years later from like a guy like Hansi from Blind Guardian, you know? There's definitely a lot, um, like his kind of strained. I mean, that's, it's almost, it's not, it sounds kind of strained. It's strained a little, but. But that's like a trademark thing that he's, I mean, he's yeah. been doing it since the first record. And he draws a lot from like uh, Wasp. I know he draws a lot from Blackie Lawless and Halloween. Hansi, yep. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, what's the guy's, Michael Kinski uh, from Halloween? I can't remember. And then yeah. Kai Hansen stuff. I just know Kai Hansen like, just because of the, the screams uh, that he did on the. Yeah, on the, the Guardian, really Blind Guardian stuff. Yeah, so for sure, like Valhalla, on Bahala, yeah. that's one of my favorite Blind yeah. Guardian moments ever. Oh man, when we saw Blind Guardian live, <laughs> it was it was incredible. Uh, they stopped for a good like two or three minutes and just had the crowd sing along to the end of all clap Valhalla with it, yeah, stuff like that. It was, it was cool. I mean, for those guys being what they are, like they they still kick major ass. I am very impressed with them. Yeah, because 
you know, even though my interest in that genre has waned quite a bit, they kind of stand above it all, you know, in a weird way. Like they don't sure. like. I don't really listen to their new records, but I actually like their new records. They're good, even though I don't but listen to them as much as their old stuff. You yeah, know? they're just they don't they're not as. Uh, I think I've always been a bigger. I, well, I wouldn't call myself a big power metal fan. Yeah. I've had a higher level of power metal tolerance than what Mark does, but not nearly as much power metal tolerance as our friend Chris. <laughs> he's uh, he's our power metal sort of expert. Yeah. You know? But um, but yeah, so I mean, like in that sort of classic kind of sense, and Blind Guardian's another hard band to sort of like pinpoint because they have like so much like speed metal, but then obviously they get thrown into power metal genre. But their yeah. songs are very thrashy and fast. Still, they're not like ultra cheesy all the time. Well, and they stuff. they came out at a weird time when nobody sounded like that either. Yeah, you know, like yeah. Halloween had come and gone in popularity, kind of, and then they just they, kind of erupted kind of out of that. Yeah. 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 I even hear some later day Anvil stuff, which made me sort of smile, like stuff mm-hmm. off of This Is Thirteen, like yeah. you know, kind of drawing from like Dreams of Escalon, uh, Eschatons, excuse me. So, um, but what are your th- any thoughts on this this epic kind of twelve minute long song, like that kind of you know we didn't mention anything that jumps out. I mean, the one thing I wanted to mention was the um, I was looking up not necessarily about the song, but about the name mm-hmm. Manila road is it was come up from a, a drunken session of watching Monty Python's flying circus. Really? And they just came up with, they thought the Manila road was like the high road or the, uh, the righteous path. Okay. But there's also in, uh, in Kansas, there is a highway called Manila road. No shit. With one L. Oh, okay. All right. All <laughs> but right. cause I was always, when I first heard it, I always just thought of the Philippines. Mm-hmm. I had a, an sure. uncle who's yeah, in the military sure. and uh, his wife's, you know, from the Philippines. I was, I was, I always thought it was some, cause you know, he was a, he was a Marine. Mm-hmm. I thought it was some kind of weird, you know, could be occupational like, could be like the road reference for, uh, or, you know, world war two, the baton death march through the Philippines. Yeah. They took the Manila road or something. So yeah, it's just yeah. some weird thing that had a lot of meaning to a couple drunk kids at the time. And it, it's held up for 30 years. Right. Sometimes that's the, the best thing, you know, yeah. for sure. Um, so enjoy uh, The Veils of Negative Existence and Dreams of Eschaton and also the epilogue.
myself down into bed to sleep away the night. A vision formed inside my head, a sun with no sunlight. Death would grip humanity, a new solar ice age, an earth that no science could save. I woke sweat running down my face, I never felt so strange To think that this could be our fate To freeze in dark and pain Then sleep brought back the dreams to me Of wars to turn the tide The world committing nuclear suicide
That was The Dreams of Eschaton and the Epilogue of the Record. And preceding that, we had The Veils of Negative Existence. And uh, we were talking about the meaning of the band's name, but uh, Crystal Logic itself is kind of a cool title. Yeah, it was, I mean, it's. I like to overthink everything, like think that there's something deeper to what it is, but it's an, a very literal interpretation of just clear thinking. Yeah. Or uh, there's a lot of like. Uh, not in a Christian righteous way, but just like they, they're on like this, all the epic metal stuff, like they're on the right path. Mm-hmm. There's a positive, like a positivity to their music as well that doesn't, I don't know, like a camaraderie and brotherhood that, that seems really kind of like ripe in this music as sure. well. Like that, that shares a similar thing with well, power metal. It's like metal. riding a battle kind of metal. Yeah. You know, like we're all in this together. You yeah. Know, like, like, and like Maiden has always had that positive. Absolutely. They will have yeah. like melancholy to some songs, but it's always been positive. You never you, listen to Maiden. You're like, eh, I'm kind of bummed You out. listen to like Halloween and Blind Guardian and Maiden and, yeah. and stuff. And like, it is uplifting in a way. There's a spiritual sort of quality to it sure. without talking about like a Christian spirituality yeah. or any kind of religion. Just like a, a belonging or a, yeah, like you're on the right path together if, sure. as long as you stick together. And shit, Manila Road, with how long they've been around, have been sticking together for a long yeah, time. for sure, for sure. Like they're on the right path. And so we're on our way out here, and uh, this is a song I kind of made mention of at the very beginning uh, that was sort of tacked on in the year 2000 as a bonus track, and they kind of, strangely enough, put it in the middle of the album sequencing, which is rare. I've never really heard of that before very often, where like you go back and disturb the... The original there's order a couple, of the song sequences. Uh, I know? can't think of them right now. I know there's a couple records like that too that I, I actually went in and took out those songs because they kind of screwed up with what how I remember the the, the, the album coming yeah. through. But I, I mean, why not put it at the end? Think. It just seems strange. I mean, that's yeah. really where bonus tracks really should go. But uh, even with the the Angel Witch reissues the, of the CD of the self title, they tack on all this extra all crap stuff at the end. that I take off in my iTunes playlist and just have the just the record of the purity. Of it. <laughs> and sometimes you know, like this is it's a great song. You know? Sure, I mean it's it's rocking. It's it's probably more metallic in a lot of ways than some of the stuff that that's going on Crystal Logic. It really I think predicts where they're going to be going with like albums like delusion and things like that you know, yeah which comes out in 86 it uh, definitely has that it's the production is predictive too. Yeah. it's like much more yep. consistent i think and it kind of starts with like a diamond head am i evil and i kind of remark to uh mark here because we just have done the the deep purple show recently kind of the beginning of in rock you know kind of how it's like noisy and just kind of like chaotic and yeah. like kind of a cool way well how's that that was cut off for yeah. a long time yeah too. And so, um, you know, when you listen to it, sometimes if you have the reissue, it can be a little bit disruptive because it comes in between Acropolis and Crystal Logic. And so, you know, if I'm you, put it on your iTunes, but, but you know, if you're putting it, just try and arrange it somewhere else. Yeah, make so a playlist where it's... Yeah, exactly. But uh, Solo is really rocking in it. The the chorus is, is great. It's got like a, a very much Judas Priest-esque kind of things happening with it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's just, it's a, it's a kind of a great little way to sort of ride out, uh, you know, here. I have no idea what Flaming Metal System is or, you know, anything. But Sounds uh, like a philosophy. It just, yeah, it sounds, <laughs> sounds like a, a way to approach heavy metal or something like that. But it's it's cool, and it's a good way to sort of end things. So, uh, once again, thank you to, uh, to Jeff Wagner. Uh, I, I know he's a listener of, of these and uh, hopefully he feels like we did an album like this justice and hopefully you do as well um you know shoot us some feedback at requiem uh, podcast at gmail.com you can check us out uh mark and jason on facebook uh, i've been trying to kind of keep that more updated and also uh the twitter feed that we have um you know we definitely yeah you're I, i'm completely off twitter now yeah so this mark's is... off twitter so i'm trying to run that that aspect of it we're, we're trying to slowly attract uh more followers and stuff like that our old twitter which i find from time to time but we can't access it because uh 
I think you lost the password, I think, or we don't really know how to log into it. So I started a new Twitter. Okay. And, uh, you know, so we're kind of slowly regaining some kind of membership. And I want to try to do a a Patreon page here pretty soon so we can... Because a lot of people have said, tell me where to donate and I'll donate. Because yeah. this, you know, it incurs a lot of, there's a lot of time involved. We usually end up buying records mm-hmm. to fill out because we don't like to just steal stuff off BitTorrents sure. or whatever. Um, but I'm going to try to get that up so there can be different tiers if you want to just help us out by throwing us a buck a month. Yeah. Or we'll have some, like, maybe extra behind the scenes crap where yep. we can do some, like, mini shows or, like, a. Uh, if you like suggest an idea that we think we can talk about, you sure. know, intelligently talk well, about, we could do well, that. Well, that's the thing. Like uh, a, a podcast I really, really love is called The Laps Fan. It's like an old school wrestling podcast, and they have uh, the Patreon kind of thing. And for a certain like fee, you can request a specific pay per view show. You know, mm-hmm. those guys would be like, "All right, let's fucking we'll just d- dive in and see it." And and you know, that's one thing because they're doing the the same consistent thing. It's it's all. It's WCW or WWF or whatever, you know. For us, like, you know, there's, there's got to be limits to that because if you're, like, do some, like, suicide silence or something, like, you know, like, uh, we're not going to really have a whole lot to say about it. So we would hope that people that listen to the show yeah. know the parameters of things. And we're always up for a challenge, you know. Sure. Like somebody requested, uh, like, a Devin Townsend show, and he's a guy that I know means a lot to a lot of people. He's not a guy Mark and I really have a lot of knowledge about. No. I know Wagner does, I think. So Wagner, that might be one where, you know, tag team a guy like Wagner and say, hey, help us out or something, you know, and tell us, give us some context for how to, like, approach a show like this. But, yeah, like, if if you're going to come up and say, oh, can you do a bullet for my Valentine's show? I'd be like, (sighs) I don't think I'm going to bring anything that you want to hear. Yeah, exactly. We're just going to trash it, you know. I mean, if you guys want to hear a show where we're just, like, making fun of shit the whole time, I mean, okay, you know, I mean. Yeah, it almost seems like a waste of time, to be honest. Yeah, But, uh, yeah, for sure, you know, give us some feedback. And, and one of the things I was going to talk to Mark about is, you know, I, I always like when I listen to some podcasts that read kind of, you know, fan mail or feedback or stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you want to give us some feedback, we'd be more than happy to, you know, like read some of the things or give us uh, stuff on iTunes. Uh, sure. Really like star ratings and oh, we've been and We've like gotten that. some great since we've come back. There's a, a nice handful of new, oh, there. Cool. new ratings I mean, out I there. I keep forgetting to check out on, on iTunes. And well, because really that's the only way you can check it out anymore because the other, the website yeah, I know. collapsed. The website collapsed. There was a bunch yeah bs with that so but we have gotten a lot of good positive feedback especially you know i know the fear factory show kind of stirred up some good not mm-hmm. controversy but it's just good conversation where some people were on mark's side some people were you know were in my kind of camp you know and uh, nick green who mm-hmm. i even acknowledge he kind of jumped into the debate yeah. a little and, and that's fun that's what we sort of want is to kind of create a conversation and so we're hoping with a show like manila road uh and the the the, the sort of sequel down the road with sirathon ghoul it's going to sort of create conversation because these are bands that maybe a lot of you don't know about just like mark and i probably didn't know a lot about them five six ten years ago Mm -hmm. uh and so yeah for sure send us some feedback but uh this is flaming metal system for requiem metal podcast crystal logic manila road i'm jason and i'm mark
Now. Now.